Hi, and welcome to podcast number six. We are here with you, four learning educators, Carrie Burkowski, Brianne Roos, and Paula Clark, along with myself, Kristen Barber. Welcome. If you have stuck with us on this journey, we're glad you're still here. We're on podcast number six. And for, um, in some ways, it feels like a long journey, and in other ways, it feels like just a blink of an eye that we're here. So much has happened between when we started in the fall, and, and here we are now approaching the fall again. But you know what? We consider each other partners, and we consider our listener partners as well. And so we've titled Podcast 6, Partners in Practice. And what we want to do in this session is just share with you some of our recent thinking on how we can be more relevant to you in your practice, in your development as an identity as a learner, in moving your students towards teaching them how to be lifelong learners. And so we're each going to talk a little bit about this idea we have of partnering together and what does that look like. And so first, we just want to define partnering. And it's always good, I think, to define first what it's not, right? So you've got this inclusionary and, and exclusionary model of what it's not. You've heard us talk a lot about this competing balance of expert and novice. What it's not in this partnering with you, and this is what we desire to do in small groups and one-on-one, -on -one, it's, it's not a hierarchy of experts and novices. And of course, Brianne, Paula, and I would say that Carrie is definitely the expert among our Absolutely. midst, having been yes. a former instructor, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> keeping, us, keeping us on the straight and narrow as we think about becoming those scholar practitioners. But Carrie's really helped to teach us how that we're together in this. And Carrie, what would you say in thinking about not a hierarchy, but what are we in this defining partnership where the coach doesn't have to have all of the answers. Well, I feel like, I mean, thank you so much for the kind words, Kristen, but I would say that we are who I hope I am in my classrooms, not an expert, that I always come to these spaces as a learner. And I mean, it's co, right? It's co-facilitator. And to me, that, that, that sort of two letters co infers that sometimes I'm the student, sometimes I'm the expert, and sometimes we're just sort of grappling with something together and coming to, right? We're constructing that meaning around that topic. So it's really important to me that we are sort of, you know, navigating this learning path together and you have to have trust in each other so that you will empower a student, you know, the student, I'm using air quotes, you can't see me, but a student in the traditional sense to, to trust them to take the lead when it's time. And then, you know, they're willing to listen to you and trust your expertise when it's that moment. But really, it's all up to me. It's all about co-constructing, co-facilitating, co and listening and learning with each other rather than any sort of to or at. And I think that that's great, that term co-facilitators, as we think about being partners. And, and Brianne, we've talked a lot about active listening, critical reflection. How do you see being a partner or co-facilitator involves asking questions in this space where we feel safe? Um, what, what does that mean to you as, as you think about it in your context, as well as what we've tried to model and engage during our, our podcast times together? Yeah, thanks, Kristen. I mean, I think I, I can share an example just very recently of asking questions of myself and of my students. Normally, I wait until halfway through the semester to ask how things are going. But because everything is so different this semester, just last week, three weeks in, I stopped and we did a very intentional reflective exercise where I asked what's going well, what's really challenging, and what can we collectively do to move forward. Um, and I was really intentional about the we. You know, mm -hmm. I said, sometimes it's, it's you, it's on the students. If you procrastinated or something, you got to change that. Um, sometimes it's it's more on my end where the expectation is not clear. Is there something I can fix, um, you know, on that end? And how can we together work to make you more successful in the next few weeks? So um, I've been asking a lot of those questions. I mean, I think I ask them every day <laughs> to myself. How did this go? Just because there is no autopilot right now, um, mm -hmm. which I guess is a good thing because, yeah. you know, we, I just can't fall back on what I've done because I've never done it this way before. And so it's just a constantly new experience for me and for my students. And, and that's so relevant because it isn't business as usual as, as you've been explaining, Brianne. And Paula, you've been, you and I have been talking a lot about that as school's been back and a hybrid in the K-12 setting of in-person and online. And 
So, so how do we help as we think about what does it mean to be co-facilitators? And really what our desire is, is to come alongside with you on this learning journey to strengthen your learner identity development, to help you think about how to build that learner identity in your student. And so as we think about this productive partner disposition, what does it mean for you, Paula, in terms of a willingness to share experiences or examining ways of knowing beliefs and practices? How do you make sort of this commitment to have this productive partner disposition? Sure. And I, I think really, and just to reiterate what everyone is saying, I, I think that it took the pandemic really to magnify um, what we are as learners. And, and, you know, we forget. And that was one of the first things we talked about in this podcast was that we forget that we're learners when we actually become teachers. And I think this year of all years, it's really forced us, um, if nothing else, to take a step back and really reach out and seek the opinions, the ideas, uh, the feedback, the reflection from our colleagues um, and from our students, as Brianne pointed out. Um, so I think the disposition is just to be open, right? To go into your schools, to go into your classrooms, your work environments, and be open to the possibilities. I, I too, start every single day this year, and I've never done this before, you know, taking an assessment of where the kids are and just telling them outright, talk about being vulnerable, outright, I don't know how to do this. I don't know if it's going to turn out. And today I had more failures mm. than I have ever experienced. And it was okay. I mean, it was certainly nerve wracking and it's certainly frustrating, but it was okay because I admitted ahead of time. And I think that disposition that, you know, we're open, we're ready to try things and we're okay if we make mistakes, just like we would want our students to have those same dispositions. Well, and, you know, Carrie, you were talking a bit before we actually turned our record on here about Parker Palmer's book, The Courage to Teach. And it just resonates with me about what Paula was saying about the number of quote unquote good mistakes mm -hmm. that she made today and bringing her true self forward where there was sort of this, maybe Paula, I don't know, this desire to project, I've got it all together, I've worked it out, I've figured it out, but oh my goodness, we're here in the moment and wow, the wheels are falling off the bus. I don't know, Carrie, are there, are there some thoughts about this sort of onstage and backstage lives from, from Parker Palmer's book, The Courage to Teach, that sort of resonates with you as we think about a productive partner disposition? Yeah, I mean, I think, and I appreciate Polly being honest about the wheels coming off because, you know, it's not easy to admit that, let alone experience it. So I'm, I'm grateful that you're honest. And I know our listeners will be too, because we've all, we've all been there, you know, yeah. maybe five minutes ago, let's be honest. <laughs> um, I think the part that, that I, I really love about Parker Palmer's work and Kristen, we were always, we were also talking about how everything we're reading and learning is sort of coming together in this one space. And for me, it's his focus on the person. And mm -hmm. I think what I see and hear from Paula's story is, you know, she's critical of herself, Paula, because you're, I would imagine, because you're an exceptional teacher and you have high, high standards. The thing that sets you aside from maybe a novice teacher is that you're willing to bring your authentic self into that space, right? You are a teacher, not just a person teaching, right? Mm -hmm. Which is really different. And so I think when Parker Palmer shares that he has stories of his best teachers or his most impactful teachers and they don't fit a mold. What's, what's, what's valuable about them is that he could see their authenticity. He understood what they valued. And I think you're right, Paula, now more than ever being in a pandemic, the crazy thing is, and Brianne, you mentioned it too, is that as teachers with some experience or educators with experience, it's, I don't know that we've, we are on autopilot ever, but we at least have a playbook, right? Mm -hmm. We have, if you're sitting in the kitchen, you have a set of recipes. If this isn't working, you know you can substitute this much oil for an egg or you can sub substitute this for flour because you don't have this, right? Brianne's daughter would be able to help us at this moment. I know, Carrie, if you could see me, I'm grinning now thinking, <laughs> oh boy, I don't have a she's, recipe playbook she's, in the kitchen. Right, but she's the, <laughs> chef, she's the chef of the family. And yeah. now in a pandemic, educators it's like we're thrown into the garage, right? And now we like, we have no playbook. <laughs> what we do have though, what the four of us have and a lot of our colleagues have is we have done the work to be learners, to admit that we don't know. And that's the piece that matters, right? Being able to adapt and use your resources, your colleagues, your students and, and, and take that moment. So I think 
yeah, I mean, so I think a long, a long, uh, long answer to your question, Kristen, but yeah, I think for me, the Parker Palmer piece is just, I just love when he says the teacher in the teaching, like that just really resonates with me, the person bringing their authentic self. And that's like seeing the individual student for the person, yeah, their experience, absolutely. their interests, their backgrounds, their, their challenges. And that's really what we as the, the learning educators for learning edu educators podcast have been having productive dialogue, productive wrestling with, uh, struggle with is how do we take the conversations that we've been having and make it practical and, and move it into a practice type of setting to integrate it and to begin to help those of you who want to partner with us to normalize this thinking of the identity as a learner for ourselves as well as our students. And so that's really what all of this sort of defining what partnering isn't and is and that productive partner disposition is now bringing us to. What we want to really share with you is our conceptualization of how do we go to the next step together with you taking this podcast and making it incredibly practical for you. We believe you've been enjoying these sessions, listening to them. We've gotten great feedback from you. And so what's the next step? And so we want to just invite you to consider partnering with us in smaller, more real-time opportunities of engagement. And so we're going to be offering webinars where we get to dig in deeper in a small group setting these ideas that we've been exploring. And so each of us are going to take the earlier podcasts that we've discussed and give you sort of a, to use Carrie's words, a trailer to whet your appetite. Of course, we don't want Rotten Tomatoes to come out and you know, give us a vote on how you think you know, we've done with this, with this webinar. Maybe we'll turn them into movies, I don't know. But um, we certainly want your feedback on certainly the, the first few webinars and what we can do. So we're just gonna spend the next few minutes I'll take the first one, Carrie will take the second, Brienne the third, and Paula the fourth, just whetting your appetite with the trailer of what would it mean to engage with us as a partner as we move forward together with these webinars. So if you've been joining us from the beginning, our first webinar focused on the ability to engage in risk-taking and transparency. And so during the webinar, we would talk about how do we focus our students on becoming learners, teaching them how to learn, developing this learner identity. And what conditions are we currently in that allow us to build trust, to develop that learner identity in ourselves, among each other as colleagues, among our students, with us, teachers and students moving forward together and students, students moving forward together as learners. And then really that sharing of values as learners. And so I was thinking about the, the different activities and, and productive discourse that we could have in this webinar. And, and here are some of the ideas I've been thinking about. You know, Carrie sort of started us talking about this idea of co-facilitator and the prefix co. I want us to focus a minute on the prefix re to do again. So this idea of rediscover, reimagine, and reignite. And what we would do in this first webinar is to rediscover, reimagine, and reignite your passion and your approaches to strengthening students' academic competencies by becoming a learner and having that identity as a learner. So where we would focus on is rediscovering the constructs of intellectual character. What does that mean? And how does intellectual character form the foundation of academic competencies? What does it mean to be intellectually curious, intellectually honest, um, and really dig into some of those characters as it relates to intellect? And then how can we, as a learning educator, reimagine our approaches to teaching and modeling effective thinking routines? How do we help our students really engage in being a learner? And you're gonna hear, I think, that theme across each of the four of us talking about engagement. Engagement as um, a learner, both for ourselves and for our students. And then reignite our intentionality for making thinking visible. You've heard us talk a lot about labeling and what does it mean to label these values, to label the critical reflection and to dig in. And so I would anticipate during this webinar that we're gonna get into that big picture concept mapping what does it mean to develop our identity as learners for ourselves and for our students? And so, you know, we live in the knowledge economy. 
And how do we situate ourselves as a learner in the knowledge economy and our students as a learner in the knowledge economy? And then how do we strengthen their academic beliefs and their dispositions and supporting their growth as a learner? So I'm pretty jazzed. I'm thinking about what this first webinar would look like and just what we could get into with our conversations, ideas. I am anticipating the wealth of experience and knowledge that would come from those who would join these sessions and the ideas that we would build on one another and hopefully rediscover, reimagine, and reignite both our passion and our approaches to developing academic competency by building ourselves as learners and our students' identities as learners. So that's kind of the trailer for, for webinar one, hopefully wetting your appetite of thinking through what it would look like to partner. Sign me and then, up, sign me up, Kristen. Here we go. We've sign got at least up. one sign on. That's great, Carrie. Do you have any other tenors? Brianne, Paula? Yeah, I'm in. Absolutely. I'm in. <laughs> awesome. All right, Carrie, give us your trailer. What do you think? Session webinar two. I think we should stop with that trailer because you were so eloquent that I'll turn people away is what I think. So um, <laughs> it's beauty together. That's right. Yeah. No, I, I appreciated you always have such good. I've written down so much that you have said. So like, it's also good. I loved your focus on the RE at the beginning, because um, one thing I've learned from all of you and from being in this work is that it's not necessarily creating new knowledge or anything new, it's, it's, it's within us. I'm hopeful and optimistic that it's within all of us. And so this work together would just be drawing that out and building awareness and reminding and making connections. So I think it was great that you started with that RE. I also really liked what you said about making, think, you said making thinking visible. I just, I just go back to making this work visible oftentimes, and, and I've said this for so long and my colleagues often roll their eyes at me, I just feel like this is work that is assumed is just happening. Good that, point. That meant, you know, by virtue of going through graduate school or by virtue of being a pre-service teacher, you're just picking up the routines and the cultures and the beliefs and the norms. And I'm here to tell you after teaching for a very long time, that just isn't true for everybody. And we really need to focus more time on intentionality. So if you want, you know, if you want a PhD student to focus on teaching and be a good teacher, then by golly, you need to talk to them about being a teacher, not just, you know, assume that they're going to pick that up. So, so I love that making it visible. And Kristen, really the the second webinar that I get super excited about is, um, you know, we keep talking about this learner identity, right? And so we really need to explore identity development, right? Mm -hmm. Speaking of making something visible, anytime a person goes through a transition, right? Whether it's for work, whether it's for school, whether it's just in your, your daily comings and goings, there's some identity development that probably happens, whether it's sort of adding to something that already exists, integrating with something. And so really understanding what we mean by identity development will be a significant part of this webinar. And gosh, there's so many fun things that we can do to explore this. I imagine um, in this webinar, of course, we'll have breakout sessions and activities. We'll talk a lot about this idea of, you know, how do you identify, right? You could do I mean, I'm sure, Kristen, you, you remember from your own courses doing things like identity wheels and talking about, right. intersec talking about intersectionality and positionality yes. because we can't, we can't, you know, co-construct and start developing this or, you know, reigniting this learner identity inside of you without first acknowledging how you identify. And, and that so, kaleidoscope of patterns, yep. right? Depending on yes. how you spin it and what the context is. It's like you have these different images that come into mm -hmm. formation. That's a beautiful, that's a great that's right. frame that carries. You know, and the other, the other piece of that that I've, I've had a, a chance to engage in is sort of even acknowledging how your own personal history, mm -hmm. you know, where you came from, where you were brought up, how you were raised, the kind of schooling you did or didn't have, all of those experiences collectively create part of your identity and so it really does help to understand ourselves and the way in which we engage and walk through the world by just doing that work so i would anticipate that just exploring our own identity will be a good chunk of that webinar and then starting to to talk more about well what does it mean to be 
a learner, right? Have a learning or um, learning educator kind of identity. And so, you know, Paula has talked often about creating spaces, courageous spaces where we're mm. able to make mistakes and walk into classrooms and say to our students, I'm just not doing this well today, right? Like how, how do we get to that place? And so doing the work that's required and part of doing that work, I think in this webinar will be, you know, we've told a lot of stories on this, on these podcasts, Kristen. And so I would envision either us or other folks sharing their own stories because sure. we, we know that one way to cultivate a sense of belonging in this space is for other people to hear the stories of others and sort of how they were able to overcome something and were successful. And so, you know, a combination of us exploring our identities, being able to name those identities, understand what that whole idea of being a learner, what that means, how it integrates with our own. And as we said, my guess is it's already there. We're mm. just there to sort of lift it up and celebrate it um, and to pull it out with, you know, educator stories. And then also to talk, you know, I guess there's a there's sort of a, a research side to this, right, which is why is it important? Why does this matter? Um, and it matters for, for lots of reasons I won't get into in the trailer, but it's sort of mitigates negative things That's right. and elevates positive things is like a really good way to say it. So, right. So when, when teachers and educators are feeling anxious and stressed and uncomfortable and isolated, um, that's because they haven't had a chance to acknowledge these feelings, right. That they, of being a learner, I, I um, a learner educator. So being able to do this work will reduce those feelings and then, of course, we know from the literature that it promotes agency, um, you know, uh, increases achievement for our students, um, builds trust, efficacy, all those wonderful things that we can read about. So it really does mitigate the stuff we want to, you know, sort of manage and elevates those really positive outcomes in both us and our students. So, so I think we'll move from identity development into learner, what a learner identity really means, remind ourselves of why we're doing this work. Cause there's always, you know, Kristen, you're always saying, what's the return on investment? What's the return on investment? So this is one, one return on investment is knowing how it's going to help you sort of in your well-being and in your students' well-being. And then the other piece, which I think will be really powerful throughout all of our webinars is we'll come with practical strategies on yes. how to, to continue to do this work. Cause I think Paula, you said, um, I can't remember now if it was in a podcast or in one of our, our prep sessions that, Ultimately, we're, co we're doing this work together so that we eventually aren't needed, right? Yes, and so some absolutely. of those strategies are leading you that way so that eventually you'll be able to reflect, you'll have the tools to walk into that space that's really unknown and figure it out because you've been through these webinars with us and have those practical strategies, so. And Carrie, what I, what I loved, kind of one of the big themes that emerges to me as I listen about web, uh, webinar two is that this productive struggle that we're having in the midst of that transition of developing learner identity, why it's important, how we can operationalize it in, the, in our professional context, is the sense of optimism and hope. Yes. And just really in the midst of an incredibly challenging time with the racial tensions, with the pandemic influences, we've got an opportunity to bring great good out of a really challenging hard. And so this, this sense of optimism is what we bring into our partnership with you of there's good that can come from this to, ha to have improvements both personally and in our professional context and work with students. And, and that just really excites me as well because who doesn't need a little shot of sunshine and optimism in, in where we are in our daily space personally as well as professionally. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. I'm sorry, Paula, I didn't mean to cut you off. I think no. I think you're right, Kristen. The other sort of because we're so we're such an instant gratification sort mm -hmm. of world. I think the other thing, if nothing else, attending this webinar and participating in the activities, I've seen it because I've had a chance to do a few, not on this but different webinars. It just gives educators a sense of relief because look. If you never listen to another one of our podcast episodes, please don't do that. I'm just using it as an example. Um, you're going to feel all of the things we're describing. You feel dissonance, feel insecurity, you feel worry about. And so why not be a part of these webinars to start 
first, seeing that, you know, you're part of a community that it feels these with you. And secondly, there's a way to leverage those opportunities and turn them into learning and to, you know, increase your confidence and well-being. So, so I think you're right, Kristen, it's, it's, you know, it's a sense of relief and then many other things that can, can come out of this work. So Paul, I'm sorry, I didn't, again, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, not at all. I was just listening when Kristen kept using the word, um, um, optimistic, I, right came to my mind was enthusiasm. And I mm -hmm. feel like this is a space where we can be enthusiastic. And I always come away from our talks and, and I hope our listeners do as well, enthusiastic about trying something new or starting the next day or being okay where we are. And, and what we know from the research is that enthusiasm, when we show that to our students has such a major impact. So, so it's just being among like-minded people who are optimistic and enthusiastic about their work for sure. Yeah, super. So Brienne, trailer three, we've teed it up for you. What do you have for us in, in webinar number three? So I actually am going to start with a story and I just, the story has been with me all week. And as Carrie was talking, it just reminded me. So we had um, on Zoom recently, the convocation address for the first year students for, you know, the incoming freshmen. And it wasn't done, of course, as it typically is, which is a big ceremony. I love ceremonies and pomp and circumstance and banners and regalia. I love all that. So it, that was a bit of a letdown, but the address was phenomenal. So the distinguished teacher of the year from the year before gives the address to welcome the first year students. And the faculty member who, who did the address was, was just so good. And I only have known her peripherally. And she started by saying, you know, welcome. And this isn't how I wanted to do it, of course. And then she said, all right, college is really scary. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> talk about inspiring optimism. And then she called herself on it. And she's like, I know that's not what you want to hear, but hang with me. And she proceeded to tell her story of being um, an immigrant in Florida whose parents worked super hard. You know, she took this chance, got into college and kind of fell into some research thing she wasn't qualified for. And that sparked a love for psychology and just... I mean, the, the story was wonderfully told. And then she, she chronicled her experience at Loyola at my university. And she said, you know, this looks like a place on TV where people go to school. I don't fit in there. And, and wow. just talked so much about belonging and um, feeling welcomed really in the community. But not until she was tenured did she feel like she could be herself at the university with her faculty colleagues and with her students. And she said, I just don't think it's a coincidence that I didn't earn this award until after that time because she needed to be herself. She needed yes. to be comfortable with her identity, with her immigrant status, you know, with, with her history and her experiences mm -hmm. and engage at that true level with her students. And when she did that, the students responded beautifully mm -hmm. because this is a, the student's vote on the distinguished Powerful. faculty member. Yeah. Right. And she was phenomenal. So I, rearranged all my classes last week because I had to show this 15 minutes each to all of them. And none of them are first year students, but they were just like, she's amazing. And you know her, I wish you could see me. Her, her style was not what you would think. Like she was very casual and relaxed and her papers were all over the place. And I'm like, why didn't you staple that? You should have stapled that before you got up there. But you can just see that that's who she is. You know, she had sneakers on under her, under her gown. Love it. Um, because that's who she is and that's what she does. And her authenticity and her reflection is she just oozed it, but it was so real. And that's what made it really wonderful. So all that's all I could think of as Carrie was talking. Um, and I, I feel like it, it kind of bridges into this discussion of, of reflection and the power of sharing your story, because that's really what she did. She, I don't know that she quoted anybody. There was no research in her discussion. It was all about her own experience and and the reflection that she had done on that experience. And looking back and she said, you know, when, when I sent this one email, that email was a pivotal, pivotal move. Well, she never would have recognized that had she not taken the time to think about that experience and to, to kind of ponder and reflect and share with her, herself, her family, her colleagues. So with that, we move into this idea of critical reflection. And for me, I, I mean, I just love the action reflection cycle. It's been a part of my education. It's part of what I do. And so I believe in it and I do it a lot. Uh, and I can also understand that today in these times, the idea of reflection can be pretty much last on the list, right? Like far from the top because we are just, it's like action, 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 figure it out, get it done, kind of go mode all the time. I think 
the four of us, I can safely assume this, I think, we can't do that, right? Like we can't just continue to charge full steam ahead without ever pausing to think about how things are going. I think we have to consider first what's going well. And I always love to approach this from a strengths-based approach, which is, you know, I really kind of got into that with my dissertation work, appreciative inquiry, and I'll, I'll circle back to that. But even with my students, let's talk about what's going well first, and then we'll talk about how we can, you know, pick up those pieces that aren't going as well right now um, together. So I think we have an obligation to do that, even as we're moving at this, at this fast pace. So the first thing is the why, right? Why, why reflect? It seems now like everything is new. And I even alluded to it before when I said there's no autopilot. I think that's true in some respects in the logistics of how we're teaching, but it's not true in a lot of other respects. And Carrie talked about this as well. And I think part of reflection is looking back and kind of realizing we don't have to entirely reinvent ourselves as educators. There's a lot that is really deeply ingrained in us and we just have to execute it a little or very differently, right? <laughs> uh, depending on your context. So it's there, it's, it's in there. And I think the challenge and, and the why in this is to just pull it out and to realize that we have a lot of these skills. And the, the first part of reflection, once you're kind of bought into the idea that it's worth your time, is the setting the stage idea. Because you don't just jump from let's reflect to moving into it. I think the, the pieces have to be in place to do that. And so in the webinar, we would talk at some length about kind of the setup. And, you know, Carrie always likes to say setting the stage. And I think that's really good, even though I've never been in a play in my life. I like the idea <laughs> of kind of getting things, getting things set and we would talk about establishing trust among the participants. And, you know, we have some established some nice trust among us. I've worked on that with my colleagues and my students and it, it's a work in progress and it's pretty cool when it happens. You know, there, it, I think it depends on vulnerability and, and there's this sort of shared um, approach where you're not gonna violate that trust and you're just gonna be vulnerable and, and kind of put your, your best mistakes as we say out there. We would talk about active listening and what that means and how to do it. Um, kind of identifying and interrogating our assumptions. What does it mean to be this type of educator um, as an individual and as a group? And then how do all these things influence our points of view? And, and that reflects on carries as well. And I think we'll see some common threads in all of this, but how do our experiences influence our perceptions and our points of view of us as educators and as learners? All of that comes with reflection and through reflection. So when we when we can set the stage like that, then we're ready to, to do the work. So that the next piece was would be engaging in some reflection together. And like I said, I would approach it from an appreciative inquiry um, lens, which means we're looking at what's going well first and leverage those strengths. And I always like to do it in, in kind of some detail, like think back to, I don't know, for us the last three weeks, what was the best moment? What is a good moment that comes to mind? Go there, like go there in your mind. What was the class? What was the physical environment? Who were the students? What were you talking about? Was it the beginning of the class or the end? What was the level of engagement? Like really dissect that moment to figure out what about it felt good and then harp on that and think, okay, so those are the good things. How can we pull that out and apply those things to contexts that are not feeling as good right now, right? So the next piece would be what's feeling kind of challenging and how can we dig into that. What about it is hard? I think sometimes it's not necessarily what we think. It's not necessarily the tech. It's that the tech is prohibiting us from that engagement or the tech is prohibiting us from connecting in the way we want to connect. My students very astutely told me uh, when I asked them about, because <laughs> I do this a lot, right? At the end of week one, I said, how are things going? And they said, you know, we are concerned that faculty can't read the Zoom room the way that they can read the classroom. Mm -hmm. And like you guys are just flying through this material and you don't know when we don't know, because we're all in these little boxes. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I said. And I just said, I never would have known that if I hadn't asked. And I so appreciate that you shared that. And I shared it broadly. I shared it with my department. It got to the deans, it got to the chairs. And then it went on like the whole faculty <laughs> kind of pedagogy sandbox page, because we have got to know this information and the students have so much to share with us. So how can we not model this reflection, right? There's yeah. so much return on investment because I bet that if, if a handful of faculty read that and thought, oh my gosh, let me stop more often and let me pause for longer. I mean, that's something that came out of this reflection is the students say, you asked, does anybody have any questions? And then you move on. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And you're, you're allowing us the time it would take to raise our hands, not the time it takes to think, am I okay with asking? Yes, I am. Let me unmute and then let me speak. It actually takes longer. Yep. So we have to wait, you know, a full uncomfortable 10 seconds or so before moving on, which feels like 10 minutes, you know, when you're running the class. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But such valuable information. So I I'm think, take, go ahead, go ahead, Brian. No, no, no. You I was just saying, no, no, no. I was, I'm taking this great class right now about, about coaching, sort of coaching theory. And what we talked about today was the power of silence, that you can really use silence to help without saying anything, have students, clients unpack what they're processing. So I love that you brought that up, Brianne. It's so, it's so hard to do, but it's so, so hard. <laughs> and I find it so much harder online. I feel yes. like I could sit and look at them and kind of move around. I don't know. There's something different about being quiet in the classroom, yeah. but it is painful because it's like this void yeah. <laughs> online. You just feel alone and it's weird. Yeah. You're in your own space. Brianne, I wanted, anyway, ask, I wanted to, can oh, yeah, I ask ahead, you a question? Yeah. Cause you, I mean, I love what you're talking about the setting the stage and talking about the pandemic and the importance. I wonder, I know you're talking sort of about pedagogy and sort of context in which we're teaching. I wonder for you, how much reflection has happened just sort of personally sort of thinking about how your emotions and how you, like how you're feel, experiencing the pandemic, how, what you're reflecting on with respect to how that's impacting what's happening in the classroom, if that makes sense. Because, right, your emotions kind of filter everything that you do. I'm just wondering if that's, if you're processing that as well. Yeah, the emotions definitely do. I was actually just teaching that the other day. I was talking about neurologically the hippocampus mm -hmm. and the amygdala and how those parts <laughs> are, are close together and they, well, I mean, Paula's nodding. She knows more about this. Um, so she should pick this up. Um, <laughs> But I was telling, you know, talking to the students, and if you're so afraid, you can't learn, and there's all that, you know, literature on. Similarly, if we're really stressed, and I think that we just have this obligation right now to be there with our students and to recognize yeah. that they have very full plates, and so do we. Yes. And I mean, I've had a not a great couple of days with teaching, and just I just feel like there's so much happening, and I don't usually drop the ball this much, um, mm -hmm. and because the balls are a little bit new, I mean, sort of <laughs> to Paula's point before, yeah. I, I had this assignment that I thought was really well executed. I spent a million hours planning it in the summer and there were just things that didn't work with it. Mm -hmm. And the students were honest and I thought, I, I thanked them for it and we're going to, you know, fix it for part two, but that doesn't feel great to be told yeah. that because I sort of pride myself on having those expectations very clear and having it very well organized. And yeah. it wasn't as good as I thought that it would be. Um, yeah, I was just listening to you talk and I was thinking we really have no choice but to see each other as human beings right now. Yes, we have right. no Correct. choice. Like we, yep. I just think that at least I can't speak to K-12, Paul, I'd love to hear your thought, but usually I feel like in the college space, it's very, oh, professor is just a professor that's like an expert, never a human being. And there's just, there's just no choice mm -hmm. because we all, I mean, I have kids running around and stress and so anyways, that's what I was thinking about, Brianne, is that we just all are human beings right now, like really. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. I think the mutuality of this experience is sort of stunning to me yeah. all the time. I just, mm -hmm. you know, we are on the same playing field with the students. And I was talking to a psychologist a long time ago, like when COVID first started, and she was saying that, that that's such an unusual thing for us mm -hmm. as faculty members to be experiencing the same as our students. And even for her, as a psychologist and mental health professional to also be experiencing the anxiety mm -hmm. and everything that, that her clients were feeling. So I think that's, you know, we've dug into that in, in past podcasts, but mm -hmm. absolutely this idea of humanness is pervasive and it should be, and it always should be. And I think that's a lesson that we can really take from this and we, it can improve our practices. So um, all of that to say, hopefully, you know, as we reflect together, it will start to become more of a perpetual practice. Cause I just think that there's so much value in it. And when students expect it, then they tend to just be more comfortable and candid with us. And I think that I learned, I know that I learned so much from them and that then our classrooms are better. And, you know, then they come to you and then you establish long relationships. I mean, it just, there's so many benefits to it and they're comfortable enough to learn, right? Because when they trust that we are examining our own practices, then they will engage in that as well. So, so Brianne, from your initial story about the, the welcoming speaker to the incoming freshman, to your own personal story of just frustration with this assignment, not, not going the way you intended. I was hearing somebody talk the other day about hinge moments, you know, hinges on doors, how hinges are these small little appliances 
but they create these turning points. And what you've just discussed to me through that critical reflection, through the storytelling, through looking back, um, action reflection are these hinge moments. They're these pivot moments that allow us to turn, open up a new way of thinking, open up a new way of interacting. And so I, I could imagine that our partners would be pretty excited to reflect on these hinge moments, to think about how could it shape their thinking, their practices, and, and the way that they interact with the students around them. So I, I would think that would be, um, I would enjoy the opportunity just to reflect on these hinge moments and um, spend some time thinking about how it shaped me as a learner and, and my practices. So I want to join you for, for webinar three me and be too. a part of your, mm -hmm. your partner. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. The hinge think, moments. That's so good. I know it made me think, Kristen, it's like, to me, that's the sort of the way awareness, right? Cause like moving from identity development, like a hinge moment is what you would find as a learning educator, right? It, it, you can reflect and you can think about things, but as you know, Mesero likes to tell us, you have these like disorienting dilemmas, but if you don't capitalize on it and note it, it just goes by. And so what these webinars are attempting to do is to help you catch that moment and call it a hinge moment, not just a moment. Yeah. And then to Brianne's point about strength-based, it's leveraging that moment into something successful, right? And so there's such a great linkage across, you know, the webinars we would like to offer. Excellent. So Paula, you know, we always give you the, the last word in these. So, you know, your trailer is the one that's leading with fireworks and the big pronouncements. So, <laughs> edge of my know, seat, edge of my wow, seat, Paula. There you go. All right. So um, I do, I just want to, you know, I want to talk about that critical reflection real quick, just to segue into mine, because I was never, ever, ever a fan of it. And every time I heard it and, and Carrie would say, we're, you know, rolling our eyes at it or, or whatever, but <laughs> Um, I was never a fan of it until I started doing this work and realizing how important it was. Mm -hmm. And I read an article by Kreber this week that talked about three phases or three mm -hmm. types of critical reflection. And one is content, one is process, and one is premise. And, you know, he asserts that certainly premise is most important and the premise asks the why. So the content might ask the what, the process asks the how, but it's the premise to ask asks the why. And if we just for a moment critically reflect on even why we're here, like why are the four of us here in this podcast and why are we asking our listeners to join us? It's because we have that same passion and obviously we have that same desire to, um, to make a difference and to look at our students as people and look at each other as people. So um, I'm getting on board with the critical reflection. I'm really excited <laughs> about webinar three myself. Um, but for the last webinar, um, I have um, the honor, I guess, of, of kind of dissecting our fourth podcast, which was a series of mini podcasts um, after COVID. So I'm going to title this loosely right now, Lessons from a Pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to take you back, since I am a K-12 teacher, back to elementary school. And for this podcast, I have one image, and I'm going to build off of that image to address each of the things we talked about in those four mini podcasts. And the image is a teeter-totter or a seesaw. And I asked my students today, and some of them didn't really know what I was talking about. So I hope there's still <laughs> teeter-totters out there. But if we think about a teeter-totter, what came to my mind when I was reflecting on podcast four was the idea of balance. And often, you know, we try to balance or equalize things. But a teeter-totter really isn't any fun if it's perfectly balanced, right? So it has to have the ups and downs and it has to have the unequal distribution. Um, so I'm going to have that kind of in the back of my mind in this webinar and really just to tackle each of those those mini podcasts, the routine and flexibility in terms of that, you know, we're going to challenge our listeners or challenge our participants to think about where are they on that teeter-totter? Are you totally routine? Are you totally flexible? Fly by the seat of your pants um, and challenge you to maybe come across that teeter-totter, right? And, and have a little more flexibility if you are a routine person and maybe create a routine because we know that they, they give us comfort and they, they quiet, as Kristen told us in the podcast, our amygdala. 
Um, so in terms of that, you know, can we just come in a little bit and challenge yourself to try something different, try the no agenda agenda, try the I wonder or the um, mystery box. So those will be our challenges for that particular segment of the podcast. Um, for the just fly the distance learning plane, we talked a little bit about the fact that we had to be the pilots, we had to repair the plane, we had to put together the plane when this pandemic hit. And so I'm equating that to a cherry bump. So we all hated the cherry bumps on the teeter-totter, right? Where somebody got off and we landed on the ground or, you know, it, it was a total unexpected event. Flying um, through the air with the exactly, greatest Exactly, right? exactly. <laughs> um, and so really that little segment is about anticipating the unexpected. And so we are not, you know, given that cherry bump on the, um, on the teeter-totter, but we are anticipating the unexpected. And to do that, you know, we really have to have that focus in on what matters most, what matters most. And when we think about the plane itself, so you can have a really fancy plane that, you know, the tickets would cost thousands of dollars to fly on and it has the showers and the personal, you know, um, liquor cabinets and all of those other things, right? Um, or you can think about a one prop plane and they both get off the ground and they both do the same purpose. So what are those basic beliefs we have? What are those principles that we have? And that's what's gonna keep us there when we're flying the distance learning plane. So we're gonna have conversations about those basic beliefs, what matters, what matters most. And as we've talked about throughout the other particular webinars as well, it's the people, right? Um, but how do we put our students first? How do we put each other first? Um, the third little segment was a one size does not fit all. And the image that came to my mind for this was that you can't teeter-totter by yourself, right? Mm. So Students need our support and we need to support each other. So obviously we're gonna be engaged in um, breakout sessions and discussions surrounding this idea of how do we support each other through this space we're inviting you to. How can we be a source of support and how can we brainstorm how we can be a so source of support to our student? If it even means getting off our side of the teeter-totter like we do as parents or guardians or babysitters and you know, going up to the other side and lifting the children up and off of the ground. So how do we do that for our students? And then how it all keeps somewhat balanced, right? So again, we don't want it to be perfectly balanced where the teeter-totter doesn't move, but we don't want it to be unbalanced where nobody can move. Um, and so the thing that holds us all together is that idea of us being vulnerable and taking care of ourselves. So really, when we talk about vulnerability, and we did this earlier on in our podcast, we talked about it being an opportunity to connect. And you really have to connect to the people you're on the teeter-totter with, right? So you really have to have that connection, or you're going to be both going in different directions, both trying to push off the ground at the same time, and it's not going to work. Um, I had this other image come to my mind when we talk about vulnerability, and I've seen a series of viral images lately on my phone, and it shows those like major mistakes by dads and it was like trying to make pancakes and they turned out to be whatever or major mistakes by moms who tried to do their children's hair and it just turned out all wonky and it's funny to me how we celebrate those and they go viral and we talk about those and we laugh about those but we don't do that for the mistakes that we make in the classroom or and not even to call them mistakes but when things don't go the right way and, and we've talked about that a lot today but really that's the vulnerability piece is that we are willing to put ourselves out there. And if it doesn't go well, then it comes back to resiliency, right? So mm -hmm. how do we bounce back from that? How do we stay on the teeter-totter? How do we keep going? And it's really through the support of each other. Um, so the research shows us that even people young, this was a uh, research study by Stewart and colleagues and it was on youngsters, but I think it holds the same for adults. And that is in spite of high risk factors, in spite of the fear, in spite of accountability, in spite of you know administrators watching our lessons and they go poorly. If we have these protective factors, which we are getting from each other, right? The support, our positive relationships, then we're gonna be fine. Then we're gonna be fine. So that's just a little, um, image, if you will, of what's going to happen in webinar four. We got a title for it. We have a title. It's got to be something like Cherry Bump. Something. <laughs> cherry Bump. Never look at a teeter totter again without right. seeing something with Cherry Bump in the title. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Expecting the Cherry Bump Expecting and what to do the with it. Bump. Right. That's awesome. Oh my Excellent. God, Paula, you're you're amazing. I have to say, like. <laughs> 
you, I have to just tell our audience because our audience isn't privy to our pre-conversations, but Paula has the best poker face ever, ever. Because, she, because she comes to this meeting like, I'm not sure I know what I'm going to say. And then she comes on and just like hits it, hits it out of the park, dunks it into the basket, whatever your like metaphor is. It's just like amazing. So um, person, I don't know if you're, when you're going to give Paula the last word, but it, could I read a quote that, that I think fits really nicely? Is that okay? Please. So Brienne and I have fallen in love and I'm embarrassed to say that Bell Hooks has only come into my life recently, um, but she's written a bunch of books and one of her books is Teaching to Transgress. And as, I, as we were sitting here talking, one of her quotes came to mind. And so it's on page eight of her book. It says, as a classroom community, our capacity to generate excitement is deeply affected by our interest in one another, in hearing one another's voices, in recognizing one another's presence. Since the vast majority of students learn through conservative traditional educational practices and concern themselves only with the presence of the professor, any radical pedagogy must insist that everyone's presence is acknowledged. That insistence cannot be simply stated. It has to be demonstrated through pedagogical practice. To begin, the professor must genuinely value everyone's presence. There must be an ongoing recognition that everyone's, everyone influences the classroom dynamic that everyone contributes. I just feel like that's the work we're doing, right? Like she just said it in a paragraph. I mean, that's valuing everybody. She's so brilliant. Valuing everybody and recognizing that when you get on that teeter-totter, everybody is contributing. Even if you get off that teeter-totter and walk across the way and help the child up or down or off, you're contributing in that dynamic space. So I just thought it was a good... Good yeah. quote. So, cool. Paula, I'm going to give you a pass for this session if you want to say that last word. I mean, I think we should just. <laughs> well, wait a second. Wait a second. I don't want to impede on Paula's last word. So, that wasn't the intent. So, <laughs> I would be happy to pass the last word, although I do have a last word that really I think is fitting in terms let's, of that paragraph. And it goes right it. along with let's it. Hear it. So let's hear it. Let's hear it. It's actually stolen from Walmart of all places. Um, so, um, the Walmart. There was, there was a news article this week about how Walmart is changing things and whether you shop there or not. The, the, the premise was that they are doing three things differently. And it just struck me as so fitting and it goes right along with Carrie's paragraph that she just read. Um, the first thing they are doing is valuing people over tasks. So they're focusing on the people. So they're changing their whole management style to focus on the people. The second aspect was breadth over depth. And what they were referring to is that they are now changing their language and managers are seen as team leaders or coaches. And that's exactly what we are doing with each other here. Um, so there isn't that hierarchy that Kristen, you talked about at the beginning of what a um, partner is not, right? So they're team, they're team leaders. And then the final, um, the final change in their format was that they are working under a premise of don't just tell, show. Don't just tell, show. And I'm just going to add one word to that, and I think that's share. And so when we share with each other and we, you know, collaborate and we are um, partners in this together, I think we're asking our listeners to share with us and so I just think that fits nicely with um, lessons we can learn from the pandemic. Now we can learn from Walmart, so. <laughs> People, you have heard that final yeah. word from Dr. Paula Clark, who sums it up so brilliantly. Yes. Thank you to our listeners for joining us today. We look forward to you joining us in the webinars. Be watching for those announcements, and we are eager to partner with you. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. <laughs>